This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Earth, your weekly environment, climate and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are going to be talking about climate emergencies. So Emma. Uh, yes, Lloyd. Hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So um, I'm to my studio. a stickler for notes. <laughs> And um, I've got my notes. Uh, WHWD. Um, gonna need some clarification on that one. Uh, I I thought you'd have got this. No, sorry, never mind. Uh, what have we done? Ah. And I wrote it down because uh, obviously every week we do a little section on what we've done recently uh, to feel good about that's green, environmentally friendly, etc. Yeah. But I feel like lately we've been forgetting it a lot and have because we've been so excited to talk about the topic and we kind of come back to it at the end. Yeah, so we this keep realising it halfway through. Yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna bring some structure back to this podcast because that's what the listeners want. Absolutely. Are you saying the trains? You're like, God, this is good, but I wish, I wish they had more structure. It's just a loose and free conversation. Where's I the need format? More, yeah, format exactly. So, welcome back to the lovely embrace of a structured format. Um, <laughs> Emma, what have you done recently? <laughs> Uh, okay, for mine, I'm going visual, but only for you, because of course this is an audio-only format. Lloyd, if you'd like it to is. cast your eyes over into my garden, what can you see that looks new and shiny? Um, I'm seeing lots of plants and trees, and I'm kidding, I can see the bee, the bee box, and it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful. That's right. I In episode one, the first ever episode of this podcast, I swore to you I was going to make a bee box. And did. We've come a long way since then. It's been a few months. But I finally had an afternoon free and an awful lot of building materials because we've um, we've basically been doing a lot of DIY on the house. And I've taken some of the old skirting boards and old floorboards and turned them into a bee box so that I can have insects and pollinators nesting happily in my garden. And it's beautiful as well. If you haven't seen it, you can hop onto our Instagram because Emma's put a picture of it on there. I did. And yeah, it is I lovely. Very excited. Honestly, it looks like very professional. And, um, it's very rustic. Just prior to this recording, Emma got very excited because there was a bee buzzing in the general vicinity of the bee house. Near it. It was near it. Yeah. The problem is, listen, I don't think I've put it in the right place in my garden. I've been told now that it needs to be on a south-facing wall. Yes. So I need to find a south-facing wall and attach it to that. But at present, it's kind of sat in a nice kind of leafy, flowery corner, which is also frequented by next door's cat quite often. Yes, which, so... while lovely, isn't quite the... Oh, I can see the bee. Oh, is it back? Yeah, he's on the plant. <gasps> Come on, just drift over a little bit. Go Format, on. structure. Oh, but we've got live nature happening. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my one good thing that I'm, I'm chuffed with this week. What about you? What have you done? Good job. Um, and I'm really glad you asked. It's almost like we planned this. Um, <laughs> so avid listeners, which I'm sure many people are, um, because, you know. Why would you not be? Why would you not be? Uh, might re- recognise that or might remember that I've talked about Easily Eco before. Oh, yes. Which is the lovely little company that some students from... Swansea University, my Your university, university currently, um, have set up by themselves, and they sell uh, plastic-free products, low-waste products, environmentally friendly products. Uh, so I went a bit mad because I heard that they were had their stall over there, and uh, they facilitated my madness because they had a card machine this time. So oh, I didn't have brilliant. to get cash out. 
to go to their stall. So they're very professional, very slick. Always uh, dangerous operation. card machines. Yes. So anyway, I ended up buying some more shampoo bars. Nice. Um, the, the tins to go to put the shampoo bars in. Oh, good. Good plan. Um, mine, um, yeah, mine's getting quite soggy. I need to keep mine in I, the I, tin. I have a little, yeah, yeah, it definitely helps. It stops it washing away. Um, I bought uh, another little bag to put the vegetables in. Just want to go, well, either keep them in the house or go to the market. I think I that's another call some... back to episode one as well, isn't it? Yeah. I think that was the first one good thing that you ever did. Very circular, oh. this, this podcast. Um, I bought some plastic-free chewing gum. Oh, very nice. Which is and nice. how is it? Good. Yeah, really good. I It's like notably different, which is interesting because you realise the effect that the... Uh, that artificial perhaps man-made uh, uh rubber that goes into the plastic um feels like but it, it was really nice i had the spearmint one but there's also a uh, lemon and there's another flavor somewhere oh lemon chewing gum that's a new yeah, one that's gonna be the next one i try um and what, what else did i buy there's like a bamboo uh toothbrush um some more beeswax wraps oh my god you've All stocked sorts. up yes you've put my bee box to shame Oh, what I mean, an amazing trip. Yeah, yours was like hard graft. Mine was... But you've got, you've like ticked off like eight different things me. in one shop. Thank you. That's impressive. Well done. Thank you. I'm just doing my bit, you know. <laughs> I'm but one man. Not all heroes wear capes. Um, and if anyone wants to... <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> if anyone wants to uh, buy from Easily Eco, um, they're great. You can hop, They've got a website as well and a Facebook page. Very nice. Well, you can put those up on our socials so people can find them. Oh, go on then. And a picture. I want to see a picture of all of your purchases. Yes, I mean to do that. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, there will be a picture on Instagram. Smashing. So, cracking on at this uh, breakneck speed. Um, <laughs> why are we here? Emma, I was going to ask you that. Oh. Were you going to ask me that? I can tell you why we're here. I'm guessing we both know why we're here. On three? One, two, three. Climate, climate emergency. emergency. <gasps> that was so smooth. Could you imagine if we said different things? We, I mean... That would have been an absolute disaster, but here we are. Here we are. Climate emergency, indeed. Something we've all heard. Yes, it's definitely been... Um, well, you, you'd almost fail to have heard anything about the so-called climate emergency. Um, so in May uh, 2019, the same month this podcast was recorded, because we're topical and up-to-date. We are relevant. Let no one say otherwise. Um, the UK <laughs> government became the first... Uh, government worldwide to de- formally declare a climate emergency yes great well okay. done done well done uk uh so one of the things that led up to this were you might remember the school strikes that happened around the school world strikes for still climate. happening school strikes for climate. of our mate oh, not our mate but i'd love to be mates with her greta thunberg greta thunberg yep uh, we did some careful research better. to make sure we pronounce it properly. I think it's like Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. yes um beautifully done if you're swedish write in tell me how i did Yes, Unless I did badly, in which case, don't. Um, <laughs> I got to Thunberg uh, with a climate, uh, school strikes for climate, and also the Extinction Rebellion, which pretty much shut down central London alone for about 11 days. Mm, with their um, wonderful peaceful protests. Yeah, um, th- th- there were lots of uh, arrests, but peacefully done arrests, which is... Yeah, kind of... I think if I'm allowed to shout out another podcast... Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, just yeah, the one. It's yeah, one that sure. I really like. Okay, then there's this Dave and Ol, these wonderful people produce a podcast called Sustainababble. And one of them, or well, they're both very interested in uh, Extinction Rebellion, but I think Ol goes on some of the Extinction Rebellion uh, protests himself. And they do a really good podcast where they just kind of explain a little bit more about the motivations and the workings behind Extinction Rebellion. And the one thing I kind of took away from that episode was, yes, there have been arrests, but it's not because they've been violent or anything. Um, and the way that it's been structured has been so good in the sense that 
the people that are running the protest will kind of say, okay, guys, anyone who doesn't want to get arrested, now's your time to leave. The police have given us X, Y, Z warnings. Um, but if anyone doesn't mind getting arrested for their views, this is the point which that might actually happen. So people are very aware of what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, uh, I think a central uh, point of Extinction Rebellion is that um, simply standing on a street corner and shouting slogans at Parliament doesn't get anything done. No. You need civil disobedience, unfortunately, in order to get to get listened to. Brings some attention. Um, so I'm not here to comment on the rights or wrongs of that, but uh, it's really interesting how how they they've gone about it, and it's actually quite nice. They've to see got a lot of attention. Peaceful. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, Hats off to them, well, I say. Well done, well you. Done. And well done to all the kids that have been um, giving up their Fridays Hasn't as well. That's been fantastic. I admire them so much. It's, it's. I wish that I had the guts to do something like that as a kid or had the availability to do something like that as a kid. I guess climate chi- climate change science wasn't really something that we were taught in schools yeah, we sort of back in our on, day. It was, it was always sort of, sort of like, oh yeah, climate change is kind of thing that's happening. Yeah, let's all recycle. It'll probably get better. Yeah. Um. But part, part of the point of this episode is that, and part of the point of the climate emergency, is that it's not getting better. Um, no. No. So the terms climate emergency, we're going to delve into, um, say what the demands of groups like Sync Rebellion are when it comes to asking for a climate emergency to be declared. Um, sorry, Emma's just had a little panic, so I shook the desk and oh. things were starting to wobble. Um, I really like these new microphones, that's all. Okay, but the the wheels are still on this, I'm so sorry this climate for train. You off. So it's all good. So the term of uh, climate emergency isn't uh, a super new one that was coined by Extinction Rebellion no. exclusively. So uh, plenty of scientists and uh, important people, let's say, have uh, described things as an emergency. So uh, the former director of the NASA Goddard Institute uh, said, "We are in a planetary emergency." Direct gets the point across. That is. Can't argue with that. Professor Hugh Montgomery from uh, UCL um, has said climate change is also a medical emergency and demands an emergency response. Nice and one. then we've had former and current uh, Secretary Generals of the UN, for example, who mm. have also used the terms uh, climate emergency and the fact that we need emergency action and we need to act now to save our planet. So Extinction Rebellion um, has sort of a couple of key demands, doesn't it? Yes. So um, I found the main the, the main three okay. that they were asking for when they uh, started these protests. So number one, bash, government uh, should declare a climate emergency. Mm-hmm. Tick. Working Dumb. with ding, other ding, institutions ding. to communicate the urgency for change. So in this case, they're not just saying just do a climate emergency declaration and then cool, we're solved. They're saying that you also need to work with other public bodies, other groups. Um, maybe even other celebrities, that sort of thing, to get across this urgency for what, what it means to the general public. Mm, and really start a dialogue, make it a two-way conversation. Which is super important. And that's uh, one of the other uh, central demands, actually, uh, which ties in quite nicely. Oh, sorry, I've jumped no, straight in. I mean, you've jumped to point number three, but hey, we've we got structure, but we're also kind of loosey-goosey. We're kind of we're fluid. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong here. So number three, the government uh, must create and be led by... Uh, the decision of a citizens' assembly on climate and ecological justice. So pretty much what that means is they want uh, the government to not just have elected politicians oversee this, but also uh, a more general people's assembly. So regular members of the public, people from all sectors, scientists, 
to come together and effectively hold the process of uh, the climate emergency declaration and the actions going forward to solve it, uh, to overlook that and hold that to account and make sure it's staying on the rails. Brilliant. Happy with that? Absolutely. Very happy with that. Number two, Bosch. Government, wait, no, sorry, number three, but we've jumped back, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The the third one that we're explaining. The third uh, point. Technically number two on the list. Okay, I said we're loosey-goosey, apparently not. Government (laughs) must act now to halt biodiversity loss and reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2025. Yes. Woo! Which is actually very uh, poignant because there was a recent report, wasn't there? There was. Which is kind of alarming pretty shocking so this was the intergovernmental panel for biodiversity and ecosystem services try saying that when you're drunk the ipbbs oh i just think i'd stumble over my words terribly if i tried but they basically um had a look it was kind of called the state of nature report and effectively stated that over a million species are going to be currently threatened with extinction the rate we're going a million a million species worldwide man this is that is wild and also the rate of species extinction that's going on currently is just accelerating and this is predominantly because of the way that we are treating nature and our natural environment and and kind of kick-starting climate change you know exactly and they are asking to effectively do something about it right now right now get on the train right stop now. waiting because uh, uh so i'm a biologist so when it comes to things like biodiversity loss we know that uh, so I'm going to a bit, bit of a tangent, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty related. Like a tangent. Um, in that uh, when you lose biodiversity, you also usually go into positive feedback loops where say if you lose the one species, you lose another species. By losing that species, you inadvertently lose that for like that has a even worse impact on the first species you were talking about. So mm. it kind of goes in a horrible loop where things get worse and worse and spiral and spiral down. Um, just proving I'm a biologist. So they're also saying... Uh, were people re- doubting you? Oh, all the time. You're getting some angry tweets, were you? Angry tweets, just (laughs) saying, show us your certificates. Credentials. Show us your BSc. Um, And (laughs) this is taking a weird... We've had a lot of biscuits. Um, Nothing wrong with a chocolate digestive to fuel a podcast. It's it's almost entirely fueled by chocolate digestives. And coffee. The other point on that uh, was to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2025. Yes. Now, 2025 is an interesting figure because that is way sooner than uh, quite a lot of the other figures you'll have heard in the news. So one thing that when we talk about kind of reducing greenhouse gases and and talking about climate change, something that comes up all the time is the Paris Agreement, where nearly 200 countries um, signed this agreement to try and limit uh, global temperature rise above pre-industrial levels uh, of two degrees that's before 2030 and we'll be limiting that two degree rise by slashing our carbon emissions and our greenhouse gas emissions so 2030 has kind of been the benchmark that most people have been geared towards aiming for so for extinction rebellion to come in and be like nah 2025 is quite i mean that's six years yeah six years six years but then the other problem as well exactly why they're kind of pushing so hard is the government's current standing uh, is their aim is to reduce carbon emissions by 80% by 2050. Mm, which is still a big number. It's quite a long way away, though. But it's quite a long way away when um, they themselves, they're, they're in an emergency. Yes. Well, I mean, the emergency has come after this plan. So hopefully... Yes, true. Hopefully the, one of the points of this emergency and the declaration of this emergency that they've kind of put themselves on, it, it, hopefully one of the things that they'll look at is bringing that date much further forward. And instead of looking to be 80% carbon-free 
taking it down to a zero carbon society just get a as close Why as we not? can. Do it properly, you know. Just just do it now while we've got the chance, on. I think. Yeah. Um so you're talking about time time scales there. The UN has said that uh, we've got eleven years. We've got eleven years, so twenty thirty. Basically, you're right. So this this eleven year deadline has been given to us. That's that's the point by which we need to make sure that we only get over 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels because long, anything higher than that, even this two degree rise is too high, they're now saying. We need to limit it to 1.5 degrees because anything higher than that and a lot of the ecosystem services and the impacts that we have that would be negative, um, we cannot kind of claw back. They will become fully irreversible and we'll just end up in this vicious downward spiral. Um, whereas if we can limit it to 1.5 degree rise, there is a chance of mitigating and saving some of those ecosystem services. Although we've already reached one one degree. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is as well, not with, much. with those uh, projections, those like cutoff dates, a lot of that is based on the more conservative estimates as well. Mm. Uh, I was reading something recently, uh, might be in BBC News, I'll try and dig up the article again, um, which was saying that in many ways the heating's accelerated and ice caps melting faster than we initially predicted oh, wow. because those models were based on the conservative ones. Um, so there's issues, for example, where the oceans are heat sinks. So mm. it's kind of delaying some of the effects because the oceans are taking up some of the heat. So in many ways, uh, some of the temperature rises we're experiencing are due to actions in the 70s and 80s. Yes. Um, and if you wanted a financial figure a, a monetary value because that makes the world go round of course um the cost of an action on the paris agreement so not doing anything mm. um or just not meeting the targets would cost 23 trillion dollars every year uh to put that in perspective how do you visualize that um i'm glad you asked <laughs> um it's how about many equivalent how many suitcases <laughs> <laughs> i could not fathom but i could say that that 23 23 trillion dollars a year figure is equivalent to the world experiencing between four and six 2008 financial crises oh goodness me we yeah. can't go through that again folks not four to six times condensed into a year every year so now the UK government's declared climate emergency. Cool. That Yay. sounds really promising. There's concern, of course, that it's not binding and that it's just... Uh, mm. the, it's the, the, the lovely word gesture. you used earlier was greenwashing. It is a little bit. Well, I'm concerned that it could be greenwashing. So it's a symbolic gesture in that um, they're not actually like legally binding in any way. It's just a thing that they've said. Um, so what I've written down is it's not actually considered a real emergency under the Civil Defence and Emergency Management Act of 2002. Um, which again would would kind of legally bind us towards doing much more about it. But I think, I mean, it could go one of two ways. It's either greenwashing in the fact that like the government's kind of saying, "Oh, cool, the people are interested in climate change, so now we need to say some climate change stuff to get them all on side," because a lot of people aren't big fans of the government at the moment. And that would be greenwashing if they then didn't do anything about it. They're just kind of making themselves look kind of sustainable, not really doing anything. But Hopefully it's not greenwashing and hopefully by declaring this and realising that actually it is something that a lot of the public are passionate and interested in, it will start to drive some some change properly yeah. from, from the top. Which I think is where um, we can all keep the pressure up effectively to yes. do something about it and keep to those uh, central tenets of what the Extinction Rebellion was demanding. Mm. Um, I've heard it said that uh, declaring a climate emergency is essentially like putting the country on a war footing. 
Oh, right. So, for example, in the Second World War, all industry was geared towards the war effort. Uh, and everything we did was geared towards the war effort. Mm. Um, that's what they want. Uh, that's what many people want uh, with climate environment uh, to be at the very centre of all government policy. So not just like a separate department on the fringe of everything else, but right in the middle of every department's core um, manifest, uh, manifesto. What's the word? Uh, yeah. Procedures moving yeah. forward. Because um, you were uh, saying something slightly terrifying about Department for Transport earlier. Oh, goodness me. Let me just find my notes. <laughs> yep so i got this from friends of the earth um i was having a little read about what they said the government should do now that they've declared a climate change emergency climate emergency and one of the things they said was to sort out the department for transport and i was like okay cool that's a very broad statement and then i read some more and effectively the department for transport in their transport investment strategy it does not mention climate change so one of the biggest areas Terrifying. of our polluting lives, if we can call it that, one of our biggest footprints in the UK is our transport. Um, and surely that's one of the areas we need to be looking at the most to, to reduce our emissions. But they're not like treating climate change as if it's a real thing that needs to be addressed here and now. They're pushing for airport expansion, like a lot of environmental groups are really angry about the idea of expanding Heathrow. Naturally, because what difference does it make if we all cycle everywhere and take trains if instead of driving? If you're a jet every 10 seconds. Exactly, yeah, exactly. If we're increasing the rate of long-haul flights we're doing and the amount of polluting activity we've got going on there. So that was kind of a bit... I found that really jarring and hard, quite frustrating. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile that with the signing of the Paris Agreement, isn't it? Which was hailed as this massive thing. Yeah, we're like, yeah, we're doing sense. all these great things. And it's like, we're going to build more airports, though. Don't, don't look this way. Yeah, it's a little bit... I would kind of almost draw a parallel between the Department for Transport and Donald Trump. That's bold. I shouldn't have said that maybe, but Trump Trump just said, you know, I don't want to be part of the the Paris Agreement anymore, which is absolutely like, I mean, that's probably a whole other podcast rant really, isn't it? But but, yeah, like you said, for, for one key department in the government to not be paying attention, it almost mitigates the effects of everyone else and the other departments. So like you said, every kind of department and every part of policy and every part of future planning needs to be pivoted towards um, a, a kind of climate change mitigation strategy. Precisely. I mean, to tinge that with some optimism, um, the UK is one of only 18 developed countries um, that have driven down CO2 emissions over the last decade. How is that optimistic? That's not very many of us. I know, but I mean... I mean well in, done in, us. In terms of Come on, everyone thinking else. the government's not doing anything, I mean, I'm very frustrated with the rate at which they're doing things. Yeah. But there's at least some will there that we need to tap into more, say, okay, you started, let's keep going, let's do more, let's yeah. do the 2025 benchmark instead. Yeah, and I, I really think that's what's kind of happened in the last... or partly happened because of... Um, what people are interested in and you know the, the conversation around climate change has changed dramatically in the last couple of months hasn't it with it suddenly taking centerfold in the news it really has and i don't know about you but even before people when i meet new groups of people um even before people find out that maybe climate change is something i'm interested in the kind of area of science that i'm positioning myself towards it comes up in conversation and it's not yes. because i've triggered it it's because it's becoming a real conversation in the pub just with people because it's becoming newsworthy and because it's starting to feel very relevant to people now which i, I don't think it ever really used to People are starting to, I think there's just been this ripple across the population, certainly in the UK, towards caring and wanting change. It's been tangible and notable just since we've, in the last couple of weeks, when we're doing this podcast, isn't it? Yeah, um, even since when, when we first began recording the podcast. Yeah. The yeah. the uptake on both plastics and climate change as two areas of science has just been 
It's been phenomenal. I mean, I'm not saying correlation equals causation, but I have a feeling that this podcast has probably changed the world. I I wouldn't want to, you know, if someone else were to say it, you we know, if anyone we, we, wanted we to say that yeah. we've caused that, we that's absolutely fine. If anyone wants to write in and tell us we've changed the world, then... Uh, we should on. get t-shirts Why made. Not? Just saying we changed the we world. We changed the world, yeah. Okay. Why not? But yeah, I mean, one of the central... Um, drivers of climate emergency or getting governments to declare climate emergency is that um it's saying to the general public look the government says it's real it's real now let's do something about it so it's not just hearing in the news oh these scientists said this oh mm. there's a debate about this even though there's not really a debate um it's saying <laughs> okay government said it let's do something it's done yeah. it's, it's communicating to everyone that we're all going to take this seriously from now on it's coming in from several sources of authority. You know, you, you can no longer deny that it's a really important thing that we're all facing. But I do, on that, on a side note, I think we are living in a really exciting time. If we've got 11 years to change the world, granted, we might not do it. But if we're optimistic and if we manage to pull this out of the bag, we have lived through one of the most amazing times we could have lived through as so humans. True. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's think really exciting. It. And I bloody hope it happens. But imagine when you and I are old and we've got like grandkids... Imagine being able to say, okay, things change so rapidly in this 10-year change, like space of time. Yeah. This is what we did, and this is what happened, and this is how we pulled it out of the bag, and this is how we tried to invest in your future. I think that's really exciting. I mean, what other points in the last couple of decades would you have said uh, Greta Thunberg, um, like a 15-year-old activist? Oh, I just butchered the name again. No, I think you said Thun- you. Thunberg? Thunberg, yeah. Sorry. Um, what other point in the last couple of decades would uh, Greta Thunberg, 15-year-old Swedish activist... Um, have become such a household name and be exactly. giving fantastic speeches she's on the to cover of Time magazine. crowds. Yeah. I mean, she, she yeah, she's a fantastic speaker as well while we're on the subject of her. She's brilliant. Um, if, if you haven't seen any interviews of her, she's so eloquent. Yeah, and the, the, way she the speech she gave to the UK Parliament as well. Yes. Amazing. How many times, or if ever, have UK Parliament sat down and listened to a 15, 16-year-old girl? It just doesn't happen, does it? doesn't happen. And I think that's just... You know, that's twofold. That's one, the media landscape that we're living in at the moment is great. The fact that someone from Sweden, an entirely different country, can very quickly be connected to all of these countries through the internet and inspire other people. And also we're celebrating children, we're celebrating women, and we're just... The fact that we can all get behind such a lovely, innocent, passionate, wonderful girl and use her as this kind of amazing poster child to inspire everyone, I just think it's brilliant. Incredibly true. Mm. I really liked um, one quote from her, which was saying that when your house is burning down, you don't sit there talking about insurance and what other yes. ways we can do to mitigate this. You put the fire out, you you do something about it and you get out. And our house is burning down. And our house is burning down. Oh, I know. Quite frankly. Uh, she's just brilliant. So well done. Well done on everything. Well done, Keep Greta. it up. And well done all the uh, children. Everyone else is doing it. all the adults as well. Everyone who's Everyone. making an effort. We love you and we salute you and we thank you. Well done. Should we get off our soapboxes now? So we said uh, what groups like Extinction Rebellion want overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a few different groups as well have, uh, have had suggestions and uh, policy changes which they say would help us get there. Because you can't just say, we're going to cut carbon emissions. You want to say, how are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so WWF, for example, um, uh-huh. has a really good uh, page on their website about uh, climate emergency and climate action. 
and they've got quite an extensive list of things. So they want to make climate action a priority across all parts of government, as we were saying earlier, um, in much the same way, I suppose, as the dreaded B word, Brexit, um, has encompassed all areas of government and everything is geared towards that. Mm. Why can we not do that for the climate? Um, they want, they're saying we need to end support fossil fuels, um, stop subsidies going towards fossil fuels, uh, stop fracking. fracking, halt airport expansion, as we were saying earlier, invest in the clean economy, renewables, electric vehicles, carbon neutral homes. Yes. With a big building boom that uh, is happening and needs to happen for housing reasons. Mm. Um, I think... Uh, Friends we'll of the Earth have said this as well. They, yeah. They've kind of one of their things that they're putting forward to government was that all new homes being built forward should be carbon zero homes or zero carbon homes. Which is too right, because I, I read that uh, 15% of the UK's carbon emissions or greenhouse gas emissions um, is due to homes, homes and housing. Wouldn't surprise me, because we're not very energy efficient and our homes, especially if they're old homes, are not very energy efficient. They're going to be leaking. Actually, speaking of leaking, next door, well, we thought we had a gas leak the other day. Yes, because we're still using gas. Um and, and the outside of our house really smelt, so we called the emergency gas line out. They were brilliant. They came within half an hour. Um, nothing wrong with our pipes, but next door had a really rotten, like, rusted gas pipe, and it was leaking out into the street all day, every day, and it must have been like that for months. And um, and actually, the engineer I spoke to, he said, you have no idea how much of an issue this is across the UK. We're literally just... We're not even using this gas in our homes because it's not making it to our homes because it's leaking from old infrastructure. And that's going straight into the environment. Cool. That's just cool. another area cool. where you're cool. like, oh, we really need to upgrade our homes and our infrastructure and just all go solar. Wow. I'm team solar. Anyway, that was a absolute tangent. But yeah, um, and some of the other things they've said as well is that, you know, we need to invest in, in free buses or subsidised buses and public transport. Like trains are so expensive. It is unfortunately cheaper to drive everywhere. And no wonder everyone wants to drive anywhere because it's more convenient. And if it's cheaper as well, those are the two things that people care about, convenience and cost. You need to make public transport cheaper because it's never going to be more convenient so you have to make it more attractive in some other way instead of hiking up prices like that so so true um and electric cars are not going to be prevalent enough to make a difference anytime soon so even if we like we're never all going to switch to electric so like immediately so we need to make public transport more accessible so one of the other things as well that people have been talking about people like Greenpeace, uh, is we can invest in nature, not just cutting our own emissions, it's invest in creating more of a carbon sink as well in the UK. Mm. So, for example, we could effectively, if we doubled the tree cover that we have in the UK, we could make a huge impact on on kind of carbon sinking a lot of Especially our... Especially next to roads as well, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and, and Greenpeace reckons we'd need 700 million trees. I don't know about you, but I'd be quite happy with more trees i'd love 700 million more trees in this country yeah yeah. because a lot of the uk land is covered it's arable land it's farming isn't it Mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying that we should stop people farming obviously but i'm not yeah i'm not really sure how you divide up land in order to make room for 700 million trees well if you were to go back to our sustainable diets episode uh, perhaps some of the technologies such as uh vertical farming could come into play vertical oh lovely segue go back to web going through all these these episodes all together um, very true. Problem solved. We're going to go plant some trees. Also, if you're a small landowner, maybe plant some trees. You can make a little bit of a difference that mm. way. Um, if collectively we all planted five trees, if we had some land, I mean, I, I don't, but some people listening, right? You never know. It might, it might hopefully all add up. 
Um, but another really interesting one as well is peat bogs. Did you know that peat bogs are a massive carbon sink? Um, sort of, yeah. So the UK, we've lost quite a lot of our peat bogs. We've either kind of built infrastructure around them or they've dried up or we're just not maintaining them anymore. Um, and not only are they a big carbon sink when they're active, um, when they're degrading, they're a carbon source. They start to release the carbon right. that they have held within them for centuries. So actually um, making efforts to restore a lot of our peat bogs. There's lots up in Scotland. There's lots kind of in Dartmoor. Um, and in the North York Moors, I think there's peat bogs mm. up there. I could be wrong. Someone from Yorkshire tweet me and tell me. Um, that could be a really interesting way of helping. And, you know, again, with that, you're also helping to restore nature in the UK as well. So it's with, kind of a win-win. Yeah, I suppose with peat bogs, it's it's kind of land that we instantly think uh, is very ugly or is a bit useless. Uh, but it's obviously, as you were just saying, it's really not. It's got huge value to yeah. us. We just need to reevaluate how we look at stuff. That we do. Worth talking about as well. Um, we've been talking about the UK government declaring climate emergency. Um, really interestingly, you've got a lot of local authorities, local councils and cities um, and universities and companies declaring climate emergencies as well, haven't we? You've set me up so nicely. Number one, Bristol, one of our favourite cities. Um, mm. Bristol was one of the first local councils in the UK, I think, if not the Shout first. Shout out Carla Denya. That was it. Um, to announce a, a climate emergency. And this was back in November, well ahead of the times, which was great. And also our old, uh, our old stomping ground, University of Exeter. Well done. They've announced mm. a climate emergency this week as well, which is brilliant. But they've also released a list of things that they want to do as well, haven't they? And how they're going to treat the university as a, as a climate emergency hub. Yeah, a lot of council um, councils and group, uh, areas that have declared climate emergencies, um, a lot of their targets are to do with infrastructure and transport on more of a local level. And also, I suppose they're trying to put pressure on government in general to say, OK, we've declared climate emergencies. Can you help us out with the funding now mm. to put these into place? Um, really cool one is small market town of, oh no, uh, so it's in West Wales. Okay, here we so go. So straight away you can tell I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. I want to say McKinleth. I don't know why you're looking at me. Um, you're the Wales M-A-C-H-Y-N-L-L-E-T-H. resident. Yeah, I would, I would take that as a guess, yeah. Sure. Um, so that was back in January. Well done. I'm apologising for uh, not being able to pronounce your name uh back in january they declared a climate emergency so they're a really small town um but they had i think it was like a quarter of either a quarter of or a third of the town put a petition forward to ask the council to declare a climate emergency oh, which is really nice um and they're already looking at things like improving energy efficiency of their buildings creating an electric car club nice to help it become carbon zero by 2030 um they're getting in postgrad students from a nearby uh college and university um, students who are studying eco design sustainability so they're going to support the town council in their efforts to oh, renovate current buildings and design new buildings uh, so it's it's really cool and you can look at um which uh authorities have declared climate emergency on climateemergency.uk mm. um the count at the moment i think is 50 bit of a ramble uh 59 first tier councils which are unitary county metropolitan and second district borough city tier councils um have declared a climate emergency of those 42 have set a target date by 2030 great 12 haven't set a date yet okay and four are aiming for 2050 
And I've got a little quote here from the website. So it says, a climate emergency declaration issued by a body and authority, such as the government or local council, can be a powerful catalyst for community-wide change if paired with a clear action plan. So it's asking for leaders, people in authority, to say the crisis is real and it's not a false alarm. Oh, that's strong. I really like that. And the website as well, climateemergency.uk, has got um, information on finding petitions for your local council and whether your council's declared a climate emergency. And if you feel that they should... um, Go on there, see if there's any petitions, or if there aren't, then either make one, or why not get in touch with your council yourself or your MP yourself? Yeah, let let it be known that this is something People you're interested in. Support power. it. Now's the time to jump on the bandwagon and really add to that support. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Hopefully that's made things a bit clearer to everyone listening about what a climate emergency is, what it means going forward. Why not get in touch with your local council, see what they're doing, or local council, local city authority, whatever, see what they're doing, um, talk to them about it, let us know how the conversation goes as well. And there's also a lovely petition on uh, WWF, which we will put on our social media channels. Well, yes. So that's uh, a petition demanding political action on the climate emergency from the UK government. So making sure it's not just an empty promise, making sure it's not just greenwashing mm. and something actually comes of it, hopefully. Yeah, making sure the declaration isn't the last thing that happens. Precisely. So thanks for sticking with us. You can keep the lovely green conversation going <laughs> on... Uh, are you laughing at me because that's my catchphrase now? I am a little bit, yeah. All right. So um, I'm not going to change. Keep the conversation going. I'm sticking to it. You can. You can find us on Facebook. At For This Earth Podcast. Twitter. Uh, what Earth Pod? Yes. Instagram. For What It's Earth Podcast. And we've got an email address as well. Yep. You can send all your questions or your insights over to For What It's Earth Pod at gmail.com. Beautiful. Many ways to reach us. Thanks for joining us. Um, tune in next week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.